as we come around God's Word again this morning. It's um, exciting to see what the Lord has for us, and so I hope you come with that same attitude. Lord, what is your Word going to say to me this morning? And if we come with that open heart, and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, then He will change us. So I hope you're looking forward to change. Last week we heard about the kind of humorous story, but with a real good twist in it, about the persistent widow, the one who came to the judge until she wore him down with her request for justice. And in the end, he heard her case. But the Lord had that message that we are to come to him because he is the faithful God and we are to come to him persistently until something happens. We have to pray until something happens. But there's a danger there. And that's why there's a second parable that we're going to look at this morning because the Lord has built that in in His wisdom. Because if we come persistently and then God hears our prayers, we might be tempted to think, well, it's because of my persistence. And it's all about works, you see. And so there's a second parable the Lord tells. And that's the one we'll be looking at in um, Luke chapter 18. And we're going to be reading from verse 9 to 14 this morning. Luke 18 verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm sure you've heard of sola fide. No? Great, there's work to be done. One. Sola fide is Latin and all it says is by faith alone. One of the five solas or one of the five core doctrines of the Protestant Reformation that happened way back in 1517, so it's not a wonder that you don't remember. But during the Protestant Reformation, when Christians came up against the false teaching and the perverted works that was happening inside the Catholic Church, they came up with these five core doctrines of the Christian faith that they wanted to stand on. And these are the five doctrines. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone is our authority. By sola fide, there's our one, by faith alone will we come to the Lord. Sola gratia, because of God's grace alone. Through sola Christus, only through Jesus Christ. Not the priest, no one else. And all four soli Deo Gloria. That's what's on our pulpit. 
all for God's glory alone. Those are the five core doctrines of the Reformation. And we're going to be looking at one of these today because it has to do with this parable. Sola fide, by faith alone. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now I'm using big words, but I'll explain them. Justification, being declared right before God by God himself. Sola fide, God's pardon for guilty sinners. God's pardon for guilty sinners is granted to and received by faith alone. And it excludes all works that mankind can do. What I mean by that? Well, let's start right at the beginning. All mankind is fallen and sinful under the curse of God and incapable of saving itself from God's wrath and curse. So if you are not in Jesus Christ, then that's where you stand this morning as well. If you are not in Jesus Christ, if there isn't a relationship between you and Christ, then you are in this state. You are fallen, sinful, under the curse of God and incapable of saving yourself from the wrath of God. You thought I was going to start with good news, right? In a way, that's good news. Because there's a follow-up here. But God. God didn't leave mankind there. Here's the good news. But God, on the basis of the life, the death and the resurrection of His own Son, Jesus Christ, alone, sola Christus, grants sinners judicial pardon or justification, which is received solely through faith. Right, so there you've had a whole big doctrine explained to you. I hope you're not looking too serious now. There is good news. You might be lost without God, but there is hope to be found in Jesus Christ alone if you would only come, give your heart to Him, bow the knee to Him, and receive Him by faith. And then God says, if you do that, if you put your hope in my Son, I declare you just you will be justified. That's as simple as I can put it. Now, what does that have to do with the parable? You'll see as we go through. There are two men spoken of in this parable. And I'm afraid to say, like the monkeys that I keep killing here with the children's stories, the Pharisees are in the gun again. For good reason. So Jesus speaks about two men that come to the temple to pray. Now take note, there's a beautiful truth here that he's going to explain, but there's also a great danger that Jesus is going to warn of. And so as these two men come, we need to pay attention because we are one of two people as well. As you sit here before me today, as I stand here before you, we are one of these two types that Jesus is describing. Two men come to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. From direct opposites, in the religious world. The Pharisee, firstly, he's a revered one in religious circles. When they see a Pharisee in those days, they looked up to this person. He was held in awe. He belonged to a strict sect called the separated ones, or the Hasidim, those belonging to God. Now, in itself, it sounds okay, right? We should be set apart for the Lord. It started off well, but it soon ended in rules and regulations. So here's this Pharisee who comes in to pray. Outwardly, he's very easily recognized. They would wear very flash robes. 
Everyone would know this is a Pharisee. And they'd even have someone walking ahead to announce what they were going to do. The Pharisee is now coming to pray in the temple. And so he would come in and pray, announce. He was fully recognized. He wore rich garbs. He adhered to a strict law down to the minutest details. So far that they would, they, they would tie their tents of their herbs in the garden. All right? They would count the very leaves on the plants down to the tents. They would pluck off those leaves and those would be tithes to the Lord. That's how strict they were. Are you that strict? We'd have lots of herbs in this kitchen of ours. But that's how strict they were. But get this person. Rules are what's important to the Lord. How I come and how I'm seen is very important to the Lord. That's what they thought. They avoided contact with ordinary people, lest they become defiled. So here are the leaders of Israel who are supposed to lead the people, but they distantiate themselves from people because the people might dirty them ceremonially. How's that going to work? That's not all. Pharisees fasted a lot. They must have been really skinny, unlike me. They fasted twice a week, and we're going to see that's going to come out in his prayer. They're only supposed to have fasted once a year by God's law, and you can look that up in Leviticus 16.29, but the Pharisees fasted twice a week, and they were very proud of it, and they let everyone know that they were fasting. Why? Because they were self-righteous. And they wanted to be seen as righteous. They wanted to be seen as super holy. That's not all. When they prayed, they announced they would pray. They had someone walking ahead of them in the street. They had the specific places on street corners that were very visible, 360. And they would go and stand there after they'd been announced. And they would bow their heads or lift up their hands in prayer. That's usually what they did, eyes uplifted. And then they would pray loudly, very long, so that everyone could hear and see. That was a Pharisee. I'm not overdoing it. It's described like that in historical documents. And right here in our text, we're going to come to his prayer now. Now, in contrast, remember last week we had contrasts. Jesus described this judge who was so full of himself that he couldn't help himself and lost. And then we had the widow on the other side who really needed help. Well, here we have another contrast. The tax collector, or the publican, it might say in your Bible. In the religious world, they were the despised ones. They were looked down on. People didn't want anything to do with them, especially Pharisees. And they were despised for several reasons. The first was that they dealt with Gentiles all the time. Why? It was their job. They had to take in taxes, and so they had to deal with Gentiles, non-Jews, unclean ones. Secondly, they had to deal with the Romans because the money they took in had to go to the Romans and so there was going to be some contact with the Romans. And we don't like the Romans, we hate the Romans. They are Gentiles. They are unclean, very unclean. And so tax collectors were despised. And also, they were seen by the Pharisees. Now listen to this, pot calling the kettle black here. They were seen by the Pharisees as corrupted by money. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees? 
They love money. They were known for it. But here the Pharisees looked down on tax collectors because they saw them as corrupted by money. And then lastly, if that's not all, they were seen as swindlers of the people. Now, this was probably very true. They did cheat people. Because it was known that tax collectors asked much more than they were supposed to have. Because they pocketed the rest. They had to have an income. And so they were despised in the religious world. So these are two contrasts. Two, two of these men coming to pray in the temple. Got that? Now, let's look at the prayers. There are two different types of prayers offered here to the Lord. Verses 11 to 12. Notice the posture of the Pharisee. The, post, the Pharisee comes and he stands in the temple. Now, before you think there's something wrong with standing and praying, nothing wrong with standing and praying. They all used to come and stand in the temple put on the prayer shawl and then pray. Or you could bow down. didn't matter. So there's nothing wrong in his standing. But the, the thing that was wrong was where he stood. He stood as close to the, temp, to the curtain as he could get. You see, the public, even the priests, were allowed to come in to a certain space in the temple and then they could pray there. And so this... Pharisee comes and he stands as close to the holy of holies as he can without getting into trouble. And that's where he lifts up his arms, he puts his eyes to the heavens so everyone can see, and then he prays loudly. Do you see him standing over there? And what did he pray? Let's look at the contents. What did he pray? It says here in your text, he prayed to himself. Now, there's two ways he could do this. And he did both. He prayed to himself. He prayed loudly, more of an advert than a prayer, because he wanted people to hear what he was praying. Even this tax collector that was standing there in the temple could hear what he was praying. And then you need to note his words. He prayed outwardly addressing God, but inwardly he was actually speaking to himself, telling himself what a good fellow he was but doing it loudly so God and the people could hear. And you see, this prayer doesn't reach God at all. And Jesus states that a little later. Because it's a prayer of idolatry. What is this Pharisee doing? He's worshipping himself in the temple out loud. And he thinks it's for God. And this is his prayer. Verse 11. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Do you, see, do you hear the humility? I am not an extortioner. Really? With spiritual things? I am not unjust. Didn't want to speak to people who are unclean. I'm not an adulterer. Outwardly. Or even like this tax collector, now that's loudly said so the tax collector can hear standing in the temple. Very loving. I fast twice a week and now he lays out his pedigree before the Lord. You hear? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get down to those little leaves. What a good man I am, God. You see, what was he doing he was putting out an advert there so that God would notice him, the people would notice him, and he had a contract, he thought, in his mind with God. God, I am good. I want you to justify me, please. 
He totally lacked a sense of unworthiness. He totally lacked an awareness of his own sin. Nowhere does he confess his sin in his prayer. Nowhere does he ask God to forgive him. If he had any sense of God's presence, he would have been aware of his own uncleanness and his own unworthiness. But no, he puts out this big CV of how good he is and wants God to accept that and give him justice, give him justification in exchange. There's my friend, the the Pharisee. Get his prayer. Don't point fingers at him. We're going to get to us later. Then we get to the tax collector. How did he pray? Such a contrast to this Pharisee. Look at his posture. He stood, says our text, verse 13, he stood afar off, just inside the entrance. Just, just. He just got in the entrance and that's where he stood and prayed. Nowhere near the Holy of Holies. Far away from that sanctuary. His eyes were downcast. Why? Because he wanted people to see that? No. It was an inward process happening to him. His eyes were downcast because he faced the reality of his own sin before a holy God and he was ashamed of his sin. And it comes out in his body language. He was beating his chest. Now that was a Jewish way of saying, I've done wrong. Okay? Beating his chest. He was beating his chest in self-accusation, near despair, but deeply conscious of God's presence. How do I know all this? Because of his words. What does he say? Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Very specific words he uses there. Oh God, who is he coming to? His heavenly Father. Be merciful to me. Now the Greek word there, the, the base of this word mercy is to cover over. Lord, cover me over with your mercy. To me, the sinner. If your Bible says a sinner, it's wrong. It's the sinner. He uses it very specifically. I am the chief of sinners, Lord. Do you see his humility here? He's not shouting this out. His prayer is hardly a whisper. Because he knows that before Almighty God, he is only a human being. Lord, cover me with your mercy. I am the chief of sinners. You see, he understood the response that we have when we are confronted by God's presence. What is that response? Humility and repentance. When you came to church this morning, what was your attitude like? And it's not that you come here because this is the only place where God is present. But when we as God's people draw together here in worship of Him... There is a sense of God's special presence with us. Did you come in with a sense of humility? Or did you just pitch? Just rocked up? You see, before we point fingers, we need to check our own attitudes. Because in a way, sometimes we come like that too. And then the Lord says, verse 14, there were two results of these prayers. Two men, two prayers, Two results, very different results. Eternal results come from these two prayers. Look at them. The Lord mentions the tax collector. I want to mention the Pharisee first. The Pharisee turns around from his loud praying. He takes his guy in front of him and he walks out after first very loudly jingling some coins into the offering. He then leaves 
He'd done everything right, religiously right, but spiritually, had he gained anything? No. He'd actually added to his woes because he had brought pride in with him and he had offered pride as a sacrifice to the Lord and the Lord can't stand sin before him and it was added to his account. And so he actually left adding to his guilt by his pretensions, by his idolatry. Because, the Lord explains, everyone who exalts himself Everyone who lifts himself up will be humbled before God. Not in this lifetime, it will happen when Christ returns. All those who lift themselves up will be humbled. You see, he had a confidence in his own righteousness. And Jesus said it's a damning hope in him. So that's the Pharisee. That's the result of his prayer. And then the tax collector on the other side, he goes home, says our Lord, who is God himself, he goes home justified. This one who's despised in the religious world goes home justified before God. God has made a judicial pronouncement over this tax collector's life. He has said, this man is justified. That's God's announcement over him. This man is righteous in the eyes of God. Almighty God, this man's sins have been blotted out. This man's transgressions have been removed. As far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103, his sins have been cast into the depths of the sea, Micah 7 verse 19. This is the man who has been justified by God himself. And so he goes home too. And he might have come to the temple aware of his sin, troubled in heart, but he goes away from the temple, this tax collector, with peace in his heart. The storm has been stilled inside of him. It has been removed from his heart. All he has now is a peace which has been given to him by God because he has come and confessed his sin before God. He's not a product of his own achievement like the Pharisee, but he is a result of God's kindness extended through God's mercy into his life. You see the different results? Because, Jesus says, the one who humbles himself before me will be exalted. By who? By God. God lifts us up when we come in humility before him and he pronounces, you are just before me. He lifts us up. Do you see how justification is explained even in this parable? It is a beautiful truth. And right through Scripture, we find this explained to us. Now, here's another big word coming up. Are you awake? Pinpoised? Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us. Wow. Did you write that down? I-M-P-U-T-E-D. I even put a picture up here for you. Jesus' goodness When we come and confess our sins, our sins are put on Jesus Christ. And what do we get back? The goodness of Jesus Christ is put on us. And when God sees us, He sees the goodness of Christ on us. That's imputed righteousness. Man, theology 101. You still passing? But what a truth it is. 
What a beautiful truth it is when we come in humility before our Lord. This is what He does for us. He takes away our sin and in the place of it we get the goodness of Jesus Christ in exchange. And then people would turn away from that gift. Why? Because that gift saves to eternity. Second Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. I'm not allowed to isolate. But this is a beautiful verse. I'm going to read it again. For God made Christ, the one who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, the one who always sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What a beautiful truth. I hope that's a reality in your life as you sit here this morning. Have you been made right with God through Jesus Christ? Or are you still hobbling through life with your own goodness? I'm a good person. I will make it. J.C. Ryle, my famous dead guy friend, he said this, listen, the best way up to God is a soul on bent knees. And the fastest way down from God is a stiff neck held high. Now in the attitude of your heart, have you got bent knees before God or a stiff neck? Are you doing it your way? I want to leave you with three little questions. And I say little, but I use it guardedly. Three questions for application under so what? We've heard all this truth. We've heard the parable. How does that apply to me? 2015 today. Well, here's a question for you. As you sit here this morning in this auditorium, on what is your hope based? If you have hope in this life, on what is it based? Is it based on being not as bad as someone else? When you look around you and you put the news on, is it based on not being as bad as those people? Or is your hope based on a person? On Jesus Christ? On Jesus Christ alone? You see, there's only two options for hope. There's either hoping in Jesus Christ alone or your own strength. Those are the only two options you have. There is no third option. The second question I want to ask you is this. Why is pride your biggest danger? Why is pride your biggest danger? Think of the Pharisee's parable. The real danger before the Pharisee was his pride. He could not see that he needed Jesus Christ. He could not see that he needed help. Why? Because he had religion. He had it all sorted out before God. Your biggest danger is your pride because it stands in your way. It blinds you to how you really stand before God. Your pride will tell you, I'm okay. I don't need religion. It will say, I'm okay. I don't need Jesus Christ in my life. I can do things my way. That's your pride speaking. Instead, 
Humility pleads for mercy. You see, pride preaches merit and how I am before God in my own strength, but humility pleads for mercy, for covering by God. Humility says, O God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Where is your heart this morning? It can only be in one of two places. And then lastly, if you're a believer here today, I want to ask you a very straight question. And you know me, I like straight. If you say you're a believer here today, on what do you base that belief? On what do you base your hope? How do you know that you're saved? Oh, Calvin, I know. I've, I've been a Christian for 23 years. I know I'm saved. Well, the Bible also teaches that the heart can be deceived. So is that all you're basing your hope on? What you know? Or, I've been a Christian for 23 years. Look, 23 years I've been walking as a Christian. So are you going to base your faith and your hope on the way you've walked for 23 years? That sounds like the Pharisee to me. Because it's by works. No, there's something more we can do. We can actually take a test. You're ready to take a test? To find out if you're a believer or not? Well, there's a really good little book in this Bible called 1 John. And if you turn to 1 John, the whole of 1 John is a test for the Christian life. If you want to know if you're a believer, then go and apply the principles of 1 John to your life. Go and ask yourself, this is what God's Word says, is this what my life's like? This is what it says, is this what my life's like? There's a test, you see, because you're either going to fail or pass. With the help of the Lord, of course. So, what do we read? I'm going to just read a little section this morning. Here's a little part of the test. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. Listen to the Apostle's heart as he speaks to you and I this morning. My little children, do you hear the love? I'm not coming in condemnation here either this morning. It's in love that I speak this to you this morning because I'd hate you to arrive one day and you think you're going to heaven but in fact you find out you've been, you've been going in your own strength. You thought you were a Christian, but you weren't. My little children, says the Apostle John, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. There's a hope already put up front for you. He is the propitiation, the down payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Anyone who would come to the Lord will be saved. And by this we know that we have come to know Him. Are you ready? Here's the first part of the test. If we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in Him. Alright, here we go. By this you may be sure if you are in Him, whoever says He abides in Him, or to walk in the same way in which He, that's Jesus, walked. Now there's the first part of the text. There's more to follow, by the way. But you go and take that book this afternoon and go and sit with it and ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Lord, I say I'm a Christian. I believe I'm a Christian. Show me that I am. Show me that I'm just. 
You see, the problem is this morning that 130 plus people are going to walk out of this building. But only two kinds are going to depart. 130 plus are going to walk out, but only two kinds are going to depart this place. Those who have been saved by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or those who still depend on their own goodness. Which one are you? There's only one choice. And the reality is, what is in your heart right now? Because you will depart in that way this morning, unless Jesus Christ Lord, our Heavenly Father, by your grace, in your mercy, you have given us this passage this morning that says to us that we are to come to you in humility and through faith accept Jesus Christ alone as the way that we can be made right with you. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Should be the prayer of our hearts. Lord, I pray that for those who say that they are in you, that they will make sure that they have been made righteous and pronounced righteous by God himself through Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there are any still here, that are going through life on their own, in their own strength, without Jesus Christ. I pray that in your mercy, you will save today through your Holy Spirit working. Do your work, I pray. Save another soul for eternity. We pray this in the name of our Saviour. We pray this through the name of our Saviour. Jesus Christ the only way to God.